So there are three passages today. Um, The first one is from Matthew 4. Um, That can be found on page 968. Um, It's it's 4, 17, and reading verses 5 and 3. The next one is from Matthew 11, um, which is 25 to 30. And the third one is from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. So you'll have to move forward in the Bible, starting at page 968 anyway. So, first, Matthew 4, the start of Jesus' public ministry. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee The Decapolis Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Second, Matthew 11. Jesus prays to his Father and reveals him to us. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed to them like little children and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And third, Matthew 28. After the resurrection, Matthew records Jesus' last words. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do please sit down. You'll need your rest if we're going to be three hours. I assure you we're not. Uh, it reminds me though, of one of my favourite stories. I know I've told it before. True story from the 18th century in one of the college chapels, uh, Oxford or Cambridge, I can't remember which. Uh, the, uh, clo- the chaplain went up the, uh, the long set of stairs to his pulpit in the dimly lit chapel. He preached a three-hour sermon. He came down, only one man was left, and he was dead. <laughs> I don't want that to happen to you. So we're going to pray, and I will restrain myself, the Lord being my helper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your Son Jesus taught us that no one knows you but him and those to whom he chooses to reveal you. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you might have mercy upon us and reveal your Father to us. Give us the gift of yourself, God with us. Take from us both our prideful, foolish striving and our careless faithless ignorance, and make us your disciples and heirs of your kingdom. Amen. Uh, There's the translator code for those who need it. I hope you've made a note of that, and that's helpful to you. Uh, Not long after I became a Christian in 1989, I gave my father a Bible uh, with the encouragement to read it and the hope that, like me, uh, he would come to faith in Jesus Christ through its message uh, that was 34 years ago. Uh, I'd love to tell you that he did what I asked and read the gospel and decided to follow Christ, but he hasn't yet. My dad was and is an atheist uh, and a pretty convinced one who loves to devour uh, a Richard Dawkins book for pleasure. Uh, my parents have lived in their current apartment for many years, and in our weekly Skype call, I would always notice the Bible uh, on the shelf next to where my dad would uh, talk to me, uh, next to the juggling balls that he once briefly tried to master. Uh, now, my dad loves nothing more than a good debate, uh, and we have had countless conversations uh, about God and Jesus and faith and reason uh, over the years. My parents' only son is, after all, a clergyman. And a couple of months ago, Dad told me he'd finally decided to have a go at reading the Bible. 34 years, don't give up hope. So he picked it up and started in the New Testament. He'd remembered uh, that I'd uh, encouraged him to begin there and not in the Old And so we started, of course, opening the first uh, book of the New Testament, first page, Matthew 1, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if it had been cousin John, who has devoted enormous amounts of time to our family tree, I know all sorts of interesting things about my forebears going back many centuries, uh, perhaps you might have been interested But dad doesn't care much for genealogies, and he must have remembered the old version from childhood, because uh, the next week when we Skyped, he said something about all that begetting, not making any sense at all, and so he'd closed the book and put it down. So when we next spoke, I suggested he turn a few more pages and have another go with Mark, who gets to the action much more quickly and sustains the pace. 
Uh, By the 16th verse of his gospel, Matthew was just completing his genealogy. By just before the same point in his gospel, Mark has already told us about John the Baptist with his leather belt and locusts, Jesus' baptism with the father's dramatic identification of his son, Uh, Jesus has been tempted by Satan with angels and wild animals in attendance, and Mark has got to Jesus' climactic mission statement, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news Well, it's more obviously gripping, isn't it? And you'd be pleased to know that Dad is making some progress in Mark's Gospel. Now, each of the four Gospels tells the story of Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who he is, why he came, what it means, and what we must do about that. But they all do so in their own unique fashion. Like four uh, witnesses to the same dramatic event, they each bring their own voice to tell the story from their unique perspective. And those four voices combine into a single harmony, richer and more beautiful than their, uh, for each of their distinctive contributions. I recently watched a film uh, called The Manchurian Candidate. And if any of you have seen that, uh, a political conspiracy thriller based on brainwashing a group of men to share the same false memory. And one of the ways they begin to realize they've been brainwashed and that their memories are false is that they all recount those memories using identical descriptions, the same phrases and words. There's no harmony of differing perspectives on the same shared reality. I'm told it's one of the ways false testimony may be spotted even today in a courtroom if the stories are too close with the same distinct words and phrases It's not powerful evidence uh, from multiple different witnesses, but rather a suggestion of collusion amongst false ones who've agreed a common story beforehand. So praise God that we have four Gospels singing us the rich harmony of the one Gospel, the one story of Jesus Christ. Matthew and John uh, bring us their distinct eyewitness evidence as members of Jesus' original apostolic band. Mark composes his breathless account from uh, the stories that Peter had later told him as they traveled uh, on their mission together. And Luke, the careful historian who interviewed those who heard and saw with their own eyes and ears. I would love to have been there when Luke interviewed Mary. I'm sure it must have been over a cup of tea and asked her to tell him about the night when the angel many years before had first brought the news to her startled teenage self that she was to become the mother of God's own son. I can picture the scene, can't we? Luke writing the notes and then eventually putting it in the first chapters of his gospel. Together, those four stories... Those four unique perspectives bring us the one gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we start a new series, as John said, in Matthew's gospel. A very simple reason for my choice of Matthew. Uh, We've preached through the other three more recently. Uh, There's really no more complicated reason than that. Uh, It's uh, over 20 years since we last started a series uh, in Matthew. 
And uh, as uh, when we get to these uh, Gospels, they're all very long documents, uh, we won't be uh, planning to preach it through in just one long series, but we will break it into smaller chunks. And over the next couple of years, the Lord being our helper, we shall come through the whole of Matthew's story. And so next week, we begin that work in earnest, section by section. We'll be back in that genealogy which put my dad off. Uh, But please don't let that put you off. It is much more exciting than even my family tree, uh, and uh, there is much the Lord has to teach us through that. That's next week. But today, we're going to step back a little uh, and ask, what are some of the distinctive ways in which Matthew's testimony contributes to the harmonious whole that whole story of the gospel. It won't be, because it won't be three hours long, uh, in any way exhaustive. Uh, I hope, therefore, it won't be exhausting either. Uh, But rather, we'll pick up just some of the key ways uh, in which Matthew draws attention uh, to some of the glorious truths at the heart of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, My hope and prayer is it will whet your appetite uh, to reread Matthew Uh, And uh, I would encourage you, particularly if you're not reading the scriptures on a daily basis uh, yourself at the moment, uh, stop feeling guilty about it, uh, stop being lazy, and just pick up one of the Gospels. Why not Matthew? Start reading it for yourself. It's good to be reading the scriptures, uh, but too many of us uh, intend to do it, but never find time, we feel bad, and then we give it up. If you're already reading God's word every day, that's great. Perhaps you have your own pattern, the Lord bless you. But if you're not at the moment, then why not just pick up Matthew and start reading it this term and uh, come along with us in this journey. Who is Jesus according to Matthew? Well, three particular things we'll bring out uh, this morning. First, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, You know this verse, don't you, from the uh, Christmas story, uh, the promise given by the Lord through Isaiah the prophet seven centuries before Jesus is born and now fulfilled in him. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the world's eyes, religion is something we do to get to God if he's there at all. Perhaps it will take a pilgrimage uh, or a ritual or a life punctuated with rituals uh, or a well-lived life so that when the scales, uh, when we're weighed on the scales, we hope the good might just outweigh the bad. But it's up to us. We put in the effort and God rewards us, or so we hope. Uh, Play your cards right, uh, right and one day you might get to be with God. If you can edge yourself along that journey, perhaps you'll even crack open the door of heaven. Right from the very beginning of his story, Matthew turns that weary and futile effort upside down. It isn't up to us to make our own efforts to work our way into God's presence. No, God takes the initiative and comes to us. The direction is upended. And as we will see again and again in Matthew, uh, which is why the Pharisees are always so angry with Jesus, God comes to us. The gospel is gift. Jesus comes to bring God to us, not to tell us that we must work our way to God. And that means that religion, uh, meaning the human effort to get into God's good books, is unbelief and it is futile and it is utterly dispiriting. And Jesus comes 
to speak God with us, to reverse the direction, to step out of heaven in grace and to bring the living God to us that we might know him freely ourselves. Jesus doesn't tell us about a God far away. He brings God close to us. He is God with us. And that middle reading uh, of the medley that uh, Emily read for us, he says a little bit more about what it means. Uh, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, although Matthew is introducing Jesus to us, only his Father truly and fully knows him as eternal God with eternal God. That's true even in human terms, isn't it? There are very few people who know us as we really are. Perhaps a spouse or an intimate relationship within our family. And of course we have wider circles of friends and associates and neighbors going out. Even those who are closest to us don't necessarily even know us truly or deeply. More truly, more deeply perhaps uh, than others. But there's a sense in which, in the end, only God truly knows us. Well, how much more so with the persons of the Trinity? No one knows the Son except the Father. Not deeply and fully and exhaustively. And it's true in reverse. Jesus, as God's son, is the only one who knows the Father. But look at the end of that sentence, the wonderful gospel end of that sentence. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's why Jesus has come. He's God with us. The Son has come to reveal the Father to us so that we might know God personally that we might come to call the Father our Father. He's the Father of Jesus. Well, Jesus will teach us in this gospel to pray to God as our Father as well. He's God with us. Uh, He reveals the Father to us. But it's his gracious act. It's his decision to do so. It's his work that must bring us to a living and true knowledge of God. So Matthew is not introducing us to a mere prophet or miracle worker or holy man. This is the creator entering the creation with the purpose of bringing us into a living relationship with him. That theme of God with us bookends Matthew's gospel. And every time we will meet Jesus in its pages uh, over the coming months and years, remember this, we are meeting God with us. We are meeting our maker Not a first century miracle worker, but the God who formed you and who will one day judge you and who has come into the world that you might know him in grace and truth today. Before his birth, fulfilling the ancient promise, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And did you pick it up at the very end of the last chapter of this gospel? Jesus' own words, I am with you always. To the very end of the age. God with us in Jesus. I am with you, he says, even here, even today, always. It's true right here, right now, in a particular way, as we gather uh, as God's people in church this morning. Jesus says, Matthew 18, verse 20, uh, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. This is the great blessing that Matthew uh, focuses on as one of the great themes of his gospel. 
God comes into the world in his son that he might be with us and we with him, that we might know him and he know us, that as we gather we meet with the true and living God and in Christ we will never be out of his presence. And what does it mean to know that God is with us? Well, we will discover many applications along the way uh, through this gospel. Here's one which Jesus expounds in Matthew chapter 6. His famous uh, warning and uh, against anxiety and his promise uh, that as we trust him, we may find its antidote. He is with us, and so we don't need to be afraid. We have a heavenly father who knows our needs, so we set our hearts on his kingdom and trust him with all that makes us anxious in this world. For if he who created the universe in all its vast array is with us, Is there really anything so impossible that we cannot entrust it to him and discover his faithful provision along the way? Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Second, Jesus is the compassionate saviour. I love the account near the end of Matthew chapter 20 where uh, two blind men are sitting by the road. Uh, They hear Jesus coming. Nothing wrong with their hearing. Uh, So they shout, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now the crowd, who's following along after Jesus, uh, tell them off for making too much noise. But that just makes them shout even louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus stops and calls them. What do you want me to do for you, he asks. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. More than any of the other Gospels, Matthew records explicitly Jesus' compassion. The word uh, literally means uh, being inwardly moved by the plight of another. When God comes to be with us, he is inwardly moved at the plight of those in this world who are far from him, and who are weary and burdened in all manner of different ways. We see that in the way he heals those blind men. He had compassion on them. He was moved to show powerful mercy to them. He touched their eyes. They received their sight and followed him. Well, Jesus is just the same today. God with us, full of compassion. We cry to him for mercy, and he asks, what do you want me to do for you? And if we will respond in similarly persistent faith, we too will find that he responds in powerful compassion, always. Not always in the way perhaps that we would first want or might expect. It doesn't mean necessarily that if I have an illness or disability, he will immediately heal me. The miracles he does here in the gospel pages are the first signs, the breaking in one day of the final kingdom of heaven in which there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain of any kind. That he is full of powerful compassion and he invites us, in those famous words that really stand as one of the centerpieces of Matthew's gospel, This is the God who is with us in his compassion. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Uniquely recorded in Matthew's gospel, perhaps the most sublime promise in Matthew, and arising from his 
grasping of who Jesus is, the compassionate God with us. Now, our weariness may have many immediate causes. Our burdens arise from many sources. Uh, They will be unique to us, although there will be many similarities between us as well. And we must start by hearing and trusting Jesus' promise at its broadest. He promises rest to all who are weary and burdened, whatever the cause. The reality is that our greatest weariness is caused by our alienation from our maker, which we bring about by our insistence on going our own way, our sins. The heaviest burden we should ever face is the judgment of God upon our sins. But Jesus comes to refresh the weary, to lift the heavy burden. He is the compassionate saviour. Again, the theme is rooted in the familiar start of the story. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And again, that theme bookends the story. At the promise before he was born is fulfilled in his death. At the Last Supper, a Passover meal retelling uh, the story of Israel's deliverance from the wrath of God by the shed blood of a lamb. Jesus says to his friends as he offers them a cup of wine, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is, I'm paying the price for the restoration of relationship between you who are far away and God who has now come near. That's what the covenant is. Your sins will be forgiven. His death will be our rest. The ground of a new covenant will be his free forgiveness Never a reward for our righteousness. Again, that theme working its way through. It is an alien way of thinking. Just before Jesus heals the blind men, his own disciples have been arguing about which one of them will go down in history as the greatest disciple. Just like the Pharisees, they think their achievements will earn them praise. Jesus says this to them just before he heals the blind men. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is the irony, and it's a rich theme in this gospel. Just like the Pharisees, the disciples think they can see how things work. I work hard. I keep God's law, or most of it, or certainly more than that fellow over there. Therefore, God will reward me. Such a person may well have 20-20 physical sight, but they are spiritually, utterly blind. And then comes, as Jesus has just said those words, the persistent cry of the actually blind men who show that they see spiritual reality with perfect clarity. We don't come to God proud of our achievements, but broken in our need. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew, again and again, will draw these contrasts in order to rebuke our pride and our self-righteousness and to bring us to the point where we see that the only entry into the kingdom of God uh, is going to be as broken people who seek mercy alone. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Reward your moral efforts? That's going to end badly. But if you come weary and broken 
abandoning all pretense that there is anything in you worth rewarding, if you will simply cry for mercy and say from your heart, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling, well then you will discover the compassionate love of Jesus, the boundless mercy and the limitless grace of the one who comes full of grace. He will give you rest. He will save you from your sins. You will be a child of God. Well, third and finally, Jesus is the teaching king. One of Matthew's uh, distinctive features is the amount of space he devotes to Jesus' teaching. Uh, and he does it deliberately in a way that shows Jesus uh, echoing and transcending the ministry of Moses. Uh, Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea, through the wilderness for 40 years, and then he received the law of God on a mountain. Jesus is brought out of Egypt, baptized in the Jordan, led into the wilderness for 40 days, and then he gives his law from a mountain. And just as there are five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, so Matthew groups Jesus' teaching into five distinct blocks throughout uh, the structure of the book. No wonder these Pharisees, these devotees to Moses' teaching, are so mad all the time. For one claiming to be a teacher greater than Moses, their hero, has come. And he doesn't receive law from God as a mediator of it to the people, but delivers his teaching as God. For he is God with us, remember, expecting therefore not only obedience, but worship. Jesus begins his teaching ministry, consciously fulfilling another promise of Isaiah. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned into a world of darkness, into our world of darkness, a world of sin and death and unbelief, a world of weariness and burden. A light has dawned. Emmanuel has come. God is with us, full of compassion. He comes to save his people, to secure their forgiveness, to bring them home, that we've seen. And so, Matthew says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near because the king in the kingdom of heaven is near. He's come in person. And the only right response uh, of disobedient subjects is to confess our sins to the king, to throw ourselves upon him for his mercy, and then to follow him. And then to say, Lord, would you teach me now how to live? And so he goes up the mountain to teach. And how does he begin that famous sermon on the mountain? Blessed are those who are more righteous than their neighbors. Blessed are those who keep every one of Moses' commandments. Blessed are those who have kept the law of God when all around is compromise and error. He doesn't begin that way at all, does he? What does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the abject spiritual failures, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have nothing to bring but their need. How we need the king to teach us what it means to belong to his kingdom in humility and faith. I hope you'll find, in a right sense, working through Matthew's gospel, uncomfortable. See, the Pharisees were the conservative faction in the established church of their day. Who am I 
who are many of us. We are the conservative faction in the established church of our day. We face many of the same temptations as the Pharisees do, to look down upon others, to be proud of our uh, moral uh, rightness and our doctrinal uh, orthodoxy. Well, we should be doctrinally orthodox, and we should strive to honor the Lord in the way we live. But none of those things bring us into the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the failures, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've already dwelt on Jesus' promise. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. His very next words are these, though you know them. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we would trust him for his rest, we must also submit ourselves to his word. If he would refresh our weary souls and bear our burdens, then we must also take on the easy yoke and the light burden of obedience to his teaching. Oh, forgiveness is free, wonderfully free. Salvation comes only to those who know they could never deserve it. But the freedom of God's grace is not a license to live as we choose. For our Savior is our King, and our King teaches us how to live and calls us to repentance. And he teaches us in the scriptures what it means to be his obedient subjects. It is an easy yoke and a light burden, but it is a non-negotiable yoke. And an unavoidable burden. As Jesus puts it in the parable at the end of that first great block of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there are two places to build your house, on the rock or on the sand. Both men heard Jesus' teaching, but only one put it into practice and obeyed it. And his was the only house that stood firm. And so again, at the very end of the gospel, Jesus reminds his disciples of his unlimited kingly rule. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is Jesus according to Matthew, God with us, revealing the fullness of life in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come to us, and we now in him. He's the compassionate Savior, calling us to trust in him alone, and as we do, sealing us into the covenant family of God by our baptism. And he's the teaching king, making disciple, making disciples, as we learn to obey all he has commanded, and take his message to those who do not yet believe. Do you know this Jesus? Are you trusting him? Are you following him? As Jesus put it to his own disciples at one of the turning points in Matthew's storyline, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Friends, it is time to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So let us come and follow him and bring his message to a waiting world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you because you are God with us. You're here today, now, in our hearts, in our presence. And we pray that as we study this word, 
uh, the Gospel of Matthew together in this coming uh, season in our church life, that you would reveal to us more of yourself, that you would cause us to abandon ourselves to you, our compassionate Saviour, that we would be unequivocal in following you and hearing your word and putting it into practice. We ask these things, that we might know your blessing and that we might be a blessing to a weary and burdened world. 